0: Welcome to Parkway Fellowship. I'm so glad that you're here today because today we come to a topic that literally everybody deals with at some point in time or another. It's the subject of alcohol. Okay. Now, before we do anything else, we need to do two things um, or need to agree on two things. The first <clears throat> is that I want you to take your personal opinion about alcohol And for the duration of this message, I just want I just want you to put it on the shelf. Okay? Put your personal opinion on the shelf because the truth is, it's hard to hear what God says when you're defending your personal opinion. Okay? So if you could put that on the shelf, that'd be great. Second thing that I want us all to do is I want us to take our preconceived notions of what we think God says about alcohol and put that on the shelf too. Because there's a very real possibility that God doesn't say what you think he says. And so I don't want those preconceived notions to jade your thinking. So if we can, if we can put those two things on the shelf for the duration of the semester, that would be great. And really, my hope is that by the time we get to the end, is that you would take what God says about alcohol and adopt that. And then you would leave those other two things on the shelf And you would say, you know what, God, what you think about alcohol is what I now think about alcohol. Um, Because at some point in life, everybody has to deal with this issue. Now, you know, there's some people that think, you know, hey, you shouldn't drink alcohol at all because, you know what, you don't really need alcohol to have any fun. And then on the other extreme, there's people that think, is it even possible to have fun without drinking alcohol? And then in the middle, there's this huge group of people that have differing limits on what they think a person should drink. But here's the thing, even those people from time to time, they violate their own self-imposed limits. Why do they do that? And so, because there's so many different opinions about alcohol and Since alcohol also has the potential to be incredibly destructive, and because our own self-imposed limitations don't always work, I mean, doesn't it make sense just to find out what God says about alcohol? I I mean, he's the one who created it, and he knows best how to deal with it, so doesn't it just make sense that we would find out what he says about it? Now, I'm going to be real honest. The issue of alcohol, for me personally, is not a very difficult issue to deal with because my parents weren't heavy drinkers, okay, I, there, were, there was not an addictive drinker in my family growing up. Now, I mean, my parents, they drank casually, um, but then when I became a teenager, they just, I don't know, they just stopped, but they never really told me why, I mean, you know, one day, literally, they were drinking, you know, beer with their pizza and margaritas with their enchiladas, and like, literally, the next day, it was like iced tea with everything. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what happened, but that's just, you know, how it was. But there was, there were, I never experienced the trauma of having a heavy drinker or an addictive drinker in my family. But if that's your story and that's part of your family history, let me just say this. I'm, I'm very sorry that you've had to go through that. And don't let that experience taint what God says about alcohol. And really, that's a big part of the reason why getting God's direction on alcohol is so important, because alcohol is one of those issues that has the power and the potential to destroy every single relationship that we have. It can destroy our marriages, it can wreck our kids, it can wreck our grandkids, it can destroy relationships with future generations in our family. It can destroy, has the potential to destroy every relationship you have, even careers, and it can alienate everybody you've ever loved and everybody that's ever loved you and can even put distance between you and God. I'm telling you, it is a big deal. But here's the thing. God loves us. And He wants to guide us through this issue. He wants wants to guide us so that we can think about alcohol like He thinks about alcohol. And here's the thing. If we adopted God's view on alcohol, don't you think we'd be better off? I mean, don't you think our kids would be better off if they adopted God's stance and God's view on alcohol? Don't you think the future generations in your family would be better off? Well, sure they would. And here's the thing. This whole issue about alcohol, this isn't new. I mean, this has been going on for a long, long, long time. I mean, even back in Bible days when King Solomon was ruling, alcohol was a big issue. I mean, there were people that were on both extremes, and there was this huge swath of people in the middle that you know, had varying limitations, but even they violated their own limits. And so Solomon saw all of that. And so because he was, God says that he's the wisest man who ever lived, he writes about that. And Solomon, you know, he's the one that wrote the book of Proverbs. And, you know, within the book of Proverbs, there's this this special section called the sayings of the wise. It's really, it's the top 30 Proverbs that, you know, Solomon wrote. And I don't know, maybe it's because, you know, in case you don't want to read the whole thing, like, just read this. You know, at least get that much. And so Solomon writes in these 30 sayings, he writes about Alcohol. So go ahead and pull out your sermon notes and let's get started today. And let's ask this question What does God say to me about alcohol? Well, saying number 18 in the sayings of the wise essentially says, Beware the pitfalls of alcohol. Beware the pitfalls of alcohol. Now, saying number 18 is the longest of all of the sayings of the wise. And the reason I think it's the longest is because Solomon says, hey, this is such a big deal. I want you to pay special attention to this because this has the potential to wreck everything more than any other single thing. So it's important that you get this right. And so here's what he writes in the longest of all the sayings of the wise. He says, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights, and your mind will imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. He writes with incredible insight, don't you think? Yeah. Now, here's, here's one key thing that I want you to see in this passage, Okay. Nowhere in this passage does he say it's wrong to drink alcohol. Did you catch that? It's not in there. God never says it. Solomon never says it. In fact, it's not anywhere in the entire Bible. And here's the thing. If God was against alcohol, you'd think somewhere he would command that we ought not drink it, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't say any of that. Okay, so what does God say about alcohol? Well, the truth is he says an awful lot. And he says that there are five ways that wise people handle alcohol. Now, three of them are in this passage. Two of them are from other places in the Bible. So let's look at those, at each one of these five ways briefly. Here's the first one. This is your first uh, bullet point. I need to decide when I'm clear-headed, not in the moment. I need to decide when I'm clear-headed and not in the moment. Look what it says. It says, Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. He says, look, the time to decide about what the right limits of alcohol are, are not in the moment. Okay? The time to decide is not when you have a glass in your hand or someone else hands you a cold one. Okay? That's not the time to decide. You know, it's not the time to decide to go on a diet when the waiter shows up with the dessert tray, okay? That's not the, decide, the time to decide your limit. So you can't decide the limits of alcohol like in the moment. you got to do it when you're thinking clearly because otherwise the, the, the pull of temptation, honestly, it's just too strong. And it clouds your thinking and, and you, you, don't, you don't think about it the way that God wants you to think about it. And so here's the thing. Once the Lord leads you to a decision about, you know, wherever your limit of alcohol is, once you decide where that limit is, if you find yourself in a place where you are going past that limit, what you don't do is just redraw the line. We're like, okay, good, now I'm okay. No, 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 no. What you you need to do is if you're going past, then you need to draw the limit farther back. Because you clearly can't go right up to that limit, so you've got to have a, a more conservative limit, right? Because God's saying to you and showing you, you can't handle that. And so the time to decide is when you're thinking clearly. Because remember, here's the thing. You're not making this commitment to yourself. The truth is, you're making this commitment to God. So here's the thing. Would you be willing to make a commitment today? Right here in church, would you be willing to make a commitment today about where the limit is for you with alcohol? That Listen, by the time we get to the end of today, would you be willing to take everything that God says about alcohol, and you'd say, okay, now that I've, I can see all of God's, what God says, would you make that commitment today about where your limit is? Because I'm telling you, You'll never be thinking about alcohol more clearly than in church today. You'll never be thinking about alcohol under God's influence more clearly than today. So would you be willing to make that commitment today to decide now why everything is super clear? Because that's how wise people handle alcohol. OK, here's the next one. The next one is this. It's about self-control. I'm sorry, it's not about self-control. It's about spirit control. It's not about self-control. It's about spirit control. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, debauchery, that's just an old English word for sensual pleasures, okay? Basically, you know, God's saying is like, hey, look, don't drink and get drunk because you do things that are stupid, all right? And it says this, it says, and I want you to underline this part, it says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, notice the Bible doesn't say that you can't drink, okay? But it does say that you can't get drunk. Why? Because when you get drunk, God's Spirit is not in control of you. You aren't in control of you. Alcohol is in control of you, and alcohol, when you're controlled by alcohol, it lowers your inhibitions, it it, it impedes the decision-making process, and honestly, you do things that you just simply would not normally do. I mean, come on. How many stories have you heard in your life of someone doing something they would not normally do because of drinking alcohol? I mean, how many times have you heard stories of a guy or a girl doing something with someone of the opposite sex that they would not normally do except for the fact that they were drinking? I mean, I could, get, I, could look, I could tell you story after story after story about how people did things that they regretted with someone of the opposite sex because of alcohol. But here's the thing. You don't really need another story because you already know. You already know that. And so... What God is saying to you and he's saying to me, he's saying, hey, I need you to understand. It's not about self-control. It's about being under spirit control. I mean, look, here's the thing. Has, has anybody ever heard anyone say in your entire Have you ever heard anybody in your entire life say, you know what? Last night, I drank way too much. I mean, I really tied one on and I made the best decision of my life. <laughs> has that ever happened in the history of humanity? No, nobody's ever said that. So what God is trying to say is like, look, your Heavenly Father, he's not trying to ruin your fun. He's trying to save you from, save you from things that you're going to regret. And one of the key ways that wise people handle alcohol is they make sure that they are never under, under the control of anything other than God. Look, here's the thing. Because if I were just to get up here and I was just tell you that, hey, you just need, you just need to exercise more self-control. Okay? That is pointless advice, because you've already had limits, and you've, and every now and then, you go past those limits anyway. So self-control is not the answer. The answer is to be in a place where you are filled with God's Spirit, where you're under the Spirit's control, God's Spirit's control. So basically what he's saying is, you never want to get to a place where you can no longer hear God prompting your heart, hey, that's enough. You never want to get to the place where you can't feel God tapping you on the shoulder. You don't ever want to get to a place where you, don't, you know, where you can't hear God telling you, hey, this is a bad environment for you, you need to leave. You never want to get to the place where you are numb to hearing God's voice or feeling that prompting from Him. If you do, then you're already way past the line. That makes sense. Okay. Here's the next one. I need to consider the principle of the weaker brother. Consider the principle of the weaker brother. Now, let me give you a little background of these verses so that this principle will make some sense. Um, In the New Testament era, when people would make animal sacrifices to idols, a lot of times they would take that meat and they would just simply sell it in the local market or local restaurant. And a lot of times these restaurants were like nearby that temple or sometimes even attached to that temple. And Christians, or there were some Christians that thought, well, you know what, if I eat that meat sacrificed to an idol, that idol really is it's the same thing as that meat being sacrificed to a demon, so I shouldn't eat it. But then there were other people, other Christians that said, look, that idol is just a piece of stone, it's just a piece of wood, it's not anything, so it's perfectly fine to eat. So, you know, pass the ketchup. So, and so it's to that sort of situation that Paul writes, and here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 8, 2nd half verse 7, he says, some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that's been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods, and their, con- and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. We don't gain anything if we do. But, if you, but you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your you know, superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that's been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And I want you to underline all of verse 12. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. See, the principle of the weaker brother says that, you know, if you do something that is not wrong, but yet it leads someone else astray, then you've sinned. you sin because you have hurt someone else. And while Paul uses meat as the example in this passage, the truth is this is a principle. It's the principle of the weaker brother, and so you can expand it to almost any issue, and it's especially poignant with the issue of alcohol. And I'll be honest with you, this principle is the reason why I personally do not drink alcohol at all. Because here's the thing you know, if I go to a a local restaurant and, uh, you know, I'm there with my family and, and, you know, I have a glass with my meal. Let's just say that someone else who is a recovering alcoholic comes into the restaurant, sees me from across the way and says, you know what? Well, there's Pastor Mike and he's drinking, so it must be okay for me to drink. Well, I could have just one, but look, this other guy he can't stop at one. He's going to have seven. And so, because of my example, I've caused him to fall off the wagon. I've caused him to go backwards. I've caused him to you know, fall back into that alcoholic tendency and perhaps have him alienate his relationship with Christ. And so, you know what? Even though it would be fine for me, I willingly... Give up my freedom for the sake of somebody else. See, that's the principle of the weaker brother. And I'll say this, if you're a leader or you want to become a leader, you need to give this principle some serious weight because there are people that follow you or who will follow you that I'm telling you, they watch everything that you do. They watch everything you do. And you are setting the standard for what they will interpret is okay or not okay by your choices, by your behavior. And by the way, one of the weaker brothers that you need to consider is your kids, your grandkids. Because I'm telling you, they are watching you. And they notice, they see everything that you do. And you are sending them a very strong message about what is okay or is not okay based on your choices and what they see you doing. And so you need to be very cautious and give this some serious weight. So for the sake of your kids, for the sake of your grandkids, or or you know what, if you teach kids or you teach youth, teenagers, you need to be careful because they're going to walk in a restaurant and they're going to see you at some point. And you're setting the example for them. So you have to consider the principle of the weaker brother. Okay, we're having fun. So let's do another one. All right. (laughs) Here we go. Next, I need to ask, is this a wise choice? Is this a wise choice? Okay, let's get back to what Solomon says. He says this. He says, in the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. So what Solomon says is like, hey, you need to ask yourself, is what I'm doing wise? Now, wisdom, according to the Bible, is being able to see the future consequences of present decisions. Okay, let me repeat that. Wisdom, according to the Bible, is the ability to see future consequences of present decisions. And the farther into the future I can see, the wiser I am. And so what he's saying is, like, hey, look, you need to think about how this is going to end How is, you know, this party or this occasion or this wedding or this gathering, how is this weekend, how is this going to end? And if you can see how it's going to end and you realize that's not an end I really want, then you need to pull it back. And if you can see how it's going to end and you're like okay with it, well then fine. Then you're not doing anything wrong, go for it. It's, it's a perfectly wise choice. But he's saying, you need to see how this thing is going to end. And you do that when you ask, stop to ask the question, is this a wise choice? Now look, there's all kinds of reasons why people drink. You know, Some people drink to cope with a difficult situation. Some people you know, drink to um, escape problems. Other people drink to cope with emotional pain. Other people drink to relax. But here's the thing. Alcohol doesn't really provide any solutions for any of those things. So is it really wise to continue to drink alcohol to escape and to numb that kind of pain? Or would it be wiser to take those problems to God and ask Him to begin to deal with? Would it be wiser to take that pain to God and ask him to heal it? Would it be wiser to take all that worry and that stress and that anxiety to God and put it in his hands so that you can relax? See, here's the thing. God wants to have a relationship with you. And so is it wise to substitute alcohol for that relationship with God? God wants you to take those things to him because he loves you. And so he wants to have that relationship with you. Now, that relationship starts by you becoming a Christ follower, by asking Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you for everything you've ever done, and then pledge your life to following him. And see, once you do that, like like that's the first step to starting that relationship with God. So, I mean, have you ever done that before? Have you ever asked Jesus to... To forgive you for everything you've ever done. Now listen, here's the thing. Once you ask him to forgive you, you don't have to keep asking. He's, you, you've asked him for forgiveness, he's given it to you, you already have it. So you don't have to keep asking. But there is an expectation that from that point forward that you would follow Jesus as best you can. I mean, you will be perfect, but it means you're to give it your best. So let me ask you, have you ever prayed a prayer asking Jesus to forgive you and pledge to follow him. If you've never done that, there's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes. I'm going to give you a chance to pray it in the, when we get to the end here in just a few moments. But there's, there's one more thing that we need to talk about, about how wise people handle alcohol. And that's this, this last one. I need to watch for the warning, when can I have another drink? Watch for the warning. I want you to use caps when you say that or when you write that. Look, what how, look how Solomon concludes the saying of the wise. Last sentence, he says, When will I wake up so I can find another drink? When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Look, here's the thing. If you find yourself consistently thinking about the next time that you are going to be able to drink alcohol, I'm telling you, alcohol probably has a much stronger hold on you than you care to admit if you find yourself always thinking about the next time that you're going to be able to drink, my friend, I'm telling you, it has a bigger grip on you than you understand. And my personal advice to you would be that you need to stop. I mean, you need to draw that line where you say, I can't drink at all because it's too consuming because it just, it consumes my thoughts. I'm always thinking about when's the next time. Solomon gives us that warning here. And so I would advise you to stop drinking completely. And if that's you, if you find yourself perhaps in that situation, then the truth is you you need some help. You need a support group. You need an accountability group. You need to get into a recovery group. I would encourage you to join an AA group. Or we have a small group that meets here at the church to help people recover. And I'm telling you, that group has helped so many people find such freedom when it comes to this issue of alcohol. God loves you, and he loves your kids, and he loves your grandkids, and he loves all of the future generations in your family. And so God has given us these guidelines because he knows alcohol has the potential to destroy every loving relationship you have. And so I want to encourage you, look what God says. And I, I honestly, I would encourage you. Leave your personal opinion and leave your preconceived notions on the shelf. Just leave them there. And instead, substitute what God thinks about alcohol as your approach to alcohol. Because here's the thing. That's how wise people handle alcohol. So, find your connection card. Let's take some steps and make some decisions together about what to do. By the way, before we start this, if those of you that are scheduled to be baptized, if you'll go ahead and make your way to the back and then back over here to the side, um, we'll start baptism as soon as you know, we finish this connection card portion. So if you want to start that, that'd be great. And by the way, if you've thought about being baptized before and you've never done it and you know that you're a Christ follower, if you want to, make it, if you want to be baptized today right here in this service, you can head to the volunteer lounge, which is just at, uh, opposite the hall right over here. We've got clothes, towels for you. You could be baptized right here today. So let's get to these these decisions. Here's number one. God, I'm asking you to show me the right limits for me right here, right now. I'm telling you, you will never think about alcohol more clearly under a godly influence than you are right now. Would you be willing to make that decision right now about what your limits are going to be? Would you do it? Number two. Help me to always be under your control and not the control of alcohol or anything else. Would that be a commitment you'd make? Number three, show me how to be sensitive to those who are weaker in their faith. That's the principle of the weaker brother. Would you put that into practice in your life? Number four, God, I'm asking you to help me teach my kids or grandkids about how wise people handle alcohol. Would you do that? Would you make a commitment to teach your kids or grandkids? Number five, God, I'm asking you to show me as I honestly, honestly ask, is this a wise choice? Would you check that one? Or number six, God, help me to hear the warning and do something about it if that's where I am in life. Would that be you? Number seven, God, forgive me as I commit to follow Jesus for the first time in my life, you've never become a Christ follower, check this next step. And then I want you to pick up a new believer packet on your way out. They're right by the side of these doors. Just grab them on your way out today. Number eight, send me information about joining the Road to Recovery small group. If You check that box, we'll send you some information about the group, when it meets, and then you can decide if you want to be a part. But would you check that box if you need to? I'm going to ask everybody right now, take a few moments. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to take these moments to pray silently to God about the decisions that you've made and then I'll close this. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you. Thank you for how clearly you've laid out what you think about alcohol and how we should approach it. Thank you, God, for not just painting this tiny little box, knowing that we would consistently step outside those lines, but instead you've invited us to have a relationship with you that guides us in this area. And so I ask that you would. And I ask that you would help each of us to think like you think and approach it like you approach it so that we can find even more freedom in life. I love you, Father. So I ask that you would bring us back next week so that we can hear more of what you want to say to us. And I ask you to do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.